Southside still holding, but you know that the rock is rolling. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staten, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 132 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and in just a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by Hunter Atkins and Ben DeBose, and we're going to break down the Western Conference Finals, which tips off Monday night in Houston at 8 o'clock between the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors. It should be a hell of a series. Uh, current gambling lines have the Warriors as the uh, the early favorites in the series, but Houston, of course, coming in with the best overall record in the NBA, uh, taking two of three against the Warriors in the regular season. It should be a fun matchup with Houston having home court advantage, looking to uh, you know sort of break this dynasty that the uh, the Warriors have going in the Western Conference. So again, eight o'clock Monday night, Game One at the Toyota Center. Really think you're going to enjoy the uh, the conversation that uh, Hunter and I have with Ben. We're going to uh, discuss expectations from Game One. Which team has the mental edge? Uh, how do the Rockets go about defending Draymond Green, who nearly averaged a triple double uh, in the three meetings that the two clubs had this year? Also, Clint Capella. What kind of role does he play in the series? Is he a threat offensively and defensively in the series? Does he match up well? We'll get into all of that. Also, Steph Curry coming off an injury. Who guards him? We'll discuss that as well. Also, Ben suggests this is going to be a favorable matchup for Harden offensively. So we'll get into that as well, in addition to uh, doling out our predictions. So stay tuned for that. If you want to follow our work, you can just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. We post all the information there each week as we post the episodes. Uh, So without further ado, let's get into the conversation as we preview the Western Conference Finals. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. And now the series that we've all been waiting for, Rockets Warriors, and I, I couldn't think of two better people, well, besides Daryl Morey, to talk about uh, the series, and that would be Hunter Atkins, co-host of the podcast, and Ben DeBose, who we've had on several times, uh, again, Locked on Rockets, Sports Talk 790. Uh, ben, uh, let's just start off, you know, when we spoke again February, uh, a few weeks ago before the playoffs, uh, this was a series that we, you know, had all been looking forward, and, and, and now it's actually happening. Uh, Monday, uh, what's your expectation? for game one it's one they need to win it's a lot to say for a team that you know won 65 games in the regular season and now winning in an 800 clip in the playoffs it's eight and two through 10 games but ultimately I think given the aura of the Warriors it's not just what they do on paper but of course having won the Western Conference three straight years having added Kevin Durant to a team that won 73 games there's so much of a spectacle to it that I think it's very important for the Rockets not to lose game one on their own home floor, because ultimately, if you do that, I I think you kind of start that narrative of inevitability starting. So I think it's very important for the Rockets, especially with home court, to start off on the, the right foot. So even though it's game one, it feels like one that the Rockets really, really need to play with a sense of urgency. There's been a lot of talk this week, you know, about Daryl Morey's comments that, you know, the Rockets are built uh, with the Warriors in mind to to beat the Warriors. You know, that was the intention of building the roster. And then we've seen, you know, uh, Steve Kerr and, uh, you know, even Draymond Green suggest that, you know, they they are the team to beat. The Warriors are the team to beat, that they do have rings. And I don't know, it seems like there's sort of some mental game going back and forth. You know, if you're looking at which team has the mental edge, who do you have? 
it's interesting because, you know, you asked Steve Kerr that yesterday, uh, and he says, well, he'd take it because his team has rings. Ultimately, I like where the Rockets are at mentally. I'm probably in the minority in saying that, but I tend to be, with the NBA, a bigger picture thinker than most. And when you look at the history of the league, there are so few teams that sustain dominance for more than three or four years at a championship level. Really, you'd have to go all the way back to probably like the Celtics in the 60s. Everybody likes to say in the 90s, well, what would have happened if Jordan didn't retire? But ultimately, even if he didn't, I don't think the Bulls win those years because when you play this deep into the playoffs, and they've been to the finals three straight years, the one year they didn't win was in Game 7, There is, it's almost like playing an extra season and then some. There is so much of a grind, not just physical fatigue, but mental fatigue, that even if the, the Warriors themselves don't acknowledge it, I think on some level there's a reason why you don't see teams in today's NBA going on runs that are that long. Now, granted, the Warriors are more talented than any of the others before, and that may completely offset it. We'll see. But just from, I would say, a mental state, I like where the Rockets are at, kind of the chip on their shoulder, the hunger, so to speak, against a Warriors team that I don't think it's so much that they don't want it, but I do think there's some mental fatigue after having been through so many long runs over the prior three years that I I like where the Rockets are at mentally a tiny bit more. Ben, good to talk to you. How are you? Absolutely doing well. How are you, Hunter? Good. I'm going to be better when I see you at practice sweating through my shirt. Um, uh, No, I, I think that there is a very clear inferiority complex, though, for the Rockets, right? Whether it's because they, you know, they um they haven't had nearly the same amount of success, and also you know Daryl's been very open about how the Warriors are the team to beat. You mentioned Austin before that Steve Kerr said it, uh, Daryl Morey said it. You know what I mean? Um, the Rockets haven't had you know nearly the kind of success. So um, it doesn't matter that they've won, they won two out of three during the regular season. Uh, I don't think it matters that their offensive and defensive efficiency numbers overall are better. Um, it, it's it's a much tougher matchup for them. You know, I think, you know, Ben, you said, you know, you're a big picture guy. It's been such, so uh, in vogue lately to pick the Rockets because their defenses look better this year because they've had some blowout wins in the postseason. But I don't think that the Rockets at all – I really actually don't think they're – that they think they're a better team than the, uh, than the Warriors. I don't know that they think they're a better team. I think they think they can compete. Uh, ultimately, you know, until you've actually beaten the 500-pound gorilla – I, I think it would be very silly to declare yourself at that level. Uh, but, but I think they, they're confident enough to think they, that, that they can win. And I think they've seen enough data. And, of course, Chris Paul and James Harden, Paul in particular, are uh, very, very confident guys. So you're right in that until the Rockets beat the Warriors, there's a lot of talk and not a lot of results to show for it. But – and I agree with you that the regular season results, the reasons I think the Rockets have a chance are not so much based on two out of three because ultimately games in October and January are not all that meaningful. But we've had a large sample with the Rockets. They've won 65 games. They're now winning at an 800 clip in the playoffs. I think it's easy to overlook just how rare that is. There are so few teams in the history of the league that have won at the pace the Rockets have done through the regular season and the playoffs. And it's one of those things, 
it's not enough for me to say, especially against this historically elite Warriors team, that, oh, I'm confident they're going to win. But I don't really take that much pessimism from, you know, the prior Rockets-Warriors playoff meetings or anything like that either. You know, I think there's just, I would say, a lot of nervous energy. And ultimately, it goes back to what I said leading off, which is that they really, really need game one to go their way. Because if it doesn't, then all of a sudden, I think the, the, the baggage starts adding up. You know, respectfully, I'm going to disagree only on my last point in that I actually think the Rockets are going to win game one. I still think they're going to lose the series. Um, I, I just, there's, it, it made me think a lot about opening night this season when the Rockets won and the narrative slowly began to shift their way. I really could see them coming out stronger, playing really well, shooting well in that first game. I do think over seven games, it's just the matchups are going to get to them and the threes won't fall enough. Um, what do you think, Ben, about how they're going to be able to defend and subdue, if they can, Draymond Green? He averaged almost a triple-double against them this year. Yeah, the big question is going to be, can Clint Capella play in this series? Because ultimately, we've all been impressed by what he's done against Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. But at the end of the day, those are two relatively traditional bigs. There's been a lot made of his ability to play on the perimeter, which athletically is true. But where the Warriors are going to challenge Clint, and it's why he used to be unplayable against Golden State for large stretches, they don't just challenge you physically, they challenge you mentally as well. They make you make really quick instinct decisions on the fly. And if you look back to the opening night game, everybody likes to point that, yeah, the Rockets won their only game at Oracle this year. Well, Capella played 18 minutes, and of the 18 minutes, I think eight of them came in the fourth quarter after Draymond left early with a shoulder injury. Now, I know it's game one, but it's the same principles. And the bottom line is, before Draymond left, Capella was largely unplayable because just mentally, it wasn't physically, it was mentally, he was a step slow. His decision-making was not there. Now, I do believe that Clint has gotten a lot better throughout the season, not just physically, but mentally as well. But this is going to be the ultimate test for him because in terms of picking up Draymond, yes, they're going to switch a lot, and I understand that. But by and large, it's going to be Clint Capella's job. And with Draymond, it's not just how they challenge you off the dribble or where he likes to shoot from. It's, of course, how he spreads the ball, how he sees the floor. And that's going to challenge Clint in a very unique way and differently than, uh, than Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert. So as far as the Rockets, I think the in vogue X factor for them going into this series that everybody likes to say is Eric Gordon. And there's some truth to that. For the Rockets to be at the Warriors level, they probably need to have Eric Gordon playing at a quasi Clay Thompson level. I understand that. But the real X factor, in my opinion, that I'm looking at in this series is just how sharp Clint Capella is mentally. Is he able to play in game one with that Hampton Fives lineup when the Warriors go uh, space the floor with Iguodala, Green, and then, of course, the traditional big three from an offensive standpoint, that to me is the big, big question in this series. And you're right. It's going to come down to, uh, can they pick up Draymond? Uh, ultimately Capella's big because if he can't, yes, you can play tuck wagon lineups here or there, but you probably don't have enough offense. If you can play Capella, that's where it gets interesting because with Capella, if he's able to keep up defensively, then offensively he's a presence around the rim. He can get you offensive rebounds due to being a little more physical than those guys. But yeah, it's all going to come down to how Clint Capella holds up. What makes you think when, when the Warriors are going to go small in the Hamptons 5 lineup, what makes you think that D'Antoni's going to have Clint on the floor? Well, they're, they're going to start the game that way. 
I mean, they're, it's almost uh, assuredly, I would guess, that they're going to keep with that Hampton five starting lineup because that's what they've done against New Orleans and uh, ultimately for the reasons you're saying. I think the Warriors are going I don't, to I don't think to so, man. I don't, you think that – I don't think they're going to start – I think they're going to start with a traditional big at center to start the game. You think they're going to start either uh, Looney or Zaza? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, th- I, would, I just think to start be, they're going to do that. I would be surprised. You might be right, but I think they found so much success. And I think, you know, the biggest early KO that I think that the Warriors could make in this series is if they prove that Capella is unplayable. And so that's why I think that's going to be one of the first things that they test. You might be right, but my, you know, just my hunch is that they're going to stick with what they did against New Orleans. Uh, And I know they didn't do it against the Rockets in the past, but they didn't do it very much against anyone in the past in terms of starting that Hampton five. And they did against Golden State. I mean, against New Orleans. So we'll see. But I, but I agree with you. If they start more traditionally, then, yeah, that's going to be a much easier matchup for, for Clint. You just mentioned the series against New Orleans. And, of course, Steph Curry was coming back from uh, injury. Uh, you know, he, he, he looked good, but I'm curious from your perspective. After watching that series, uh, what did you think of Steph? Do you think he's uh, going to be a huge factor in the series, obviously? And who did the Rockets put on him defensively? Is it Chris Paul or is it someone with more length like Trevor Ariza? Um, you know, the easy answer there, and it's been a cop-out, is they're, they're going to switch a lot, but ultimately, I think with I think with Steph Curry, it's probably length that I think you want to give against him because he's shifty enough that he's going to cause problems no matter who you are. So what you need is length to at least contest on the perimeter. Uh, but but ultimately, they're all going to spend time. I mean, the Rockets switch it up. They switch where anybody in the league. I don't think there's that much to be told in terms of a one-on-one matchups there. Where I think the more interesting fact is, is where you're going at with the injury. And honest, I thought that Steph was being honest today. If you guys listened or saw on Twitter the comments from uh, Golden State's practice, both teams returned to practice today. It was Curry saying that in terms of his MCL injury, it affects him more defensively in terms of his lateral movement than it does offensively. I think offensively you might see a little bit of a decline, but by and large, he's going to still be Steph Curry. He can be shifty side to side, and of course he can still shoot. Where things get really interesting on the defensive end, it's a lot tougher to move laterally, and if there's one thing that the Rockets have done over the years ad nauseum against Golden State, it's try to bring whoever is picking, uh, whoever Steph Curry is picking up, bring them as the screener, and then get Curry switched on to Paul or especially Harden. That's what we saw down the stretch of all these other games. So that's going to be what the Rockets try and exploit. Ultimately, you can do it too much, and I'm sure Steve Kerr knows that's exactly what the Rockets are going to do, and they're working on some sort of counter to that. But from the Warriors' standpoint, that's going to be the big question early in the series. It's just how well Curry holds up on these switches, or is there a way that Golden State can avoid it to where he's not left on an alone on an island against James Harden or Chris Paul. You know what would also be really nice to see in this series is a complete excellent run by Harden. Um, You know, it seems that there have been nights when either he or Chris Paul have been completely off, like short-circuited. Obviously, they've they've also had tremendous games this postseason, but it would be really nice, I think, for everything about Harden, you know, his legacy, his reputation, uh, kind of confidence from the fan base. If even if it were hypothetically in a losing effort over seven games or something, 
it would I, it would just be really nice to see that guy actually play a complete series and not have one of these nights where he only makes one or two shots uh, from the field. I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot to be told from how they compete in this series. I think everyone want in Houston wants to see them win, but ultimately, if they don't, of course it's understandable. You're going against probably the most talented team in the history of the sport. I think at a bare minimum, what you want out of this series is a feeling that even if it doesn't work out, that James Harden is a guy that that you trust in big spots. And I think he's made strides by and large. I think his performances have been good this year, but you're exactly right. Game four and game five against Utah or game two against Minnesota, there are these clunkers that are out there on his legacy. And so at a bare minimum, what he needs to do this series, it's going to be the biggest stage he's been on in his career is give you the confidence that, yes, he's the kind of guy that even if it doesn't happen this year, that you can see in future iterations of this team that has enough alpha in him that you can challenge teams led by Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Because, yeah, if he has another series in which, you know, maybe two of the five or six games, whatever it is, are games in which he's at a – you know, B-minus game at best. It's fair to to wonder just what the upside is, and it's not all his fault. Part of it is just how high the bar is in today's NBA with the Warriors. But you're right. I mean, the bar is that high, and so ultimately it's on James to be consistent and avoid, you know, a lot of what happened late in the Utah series. I give a lot of credit to Rudy Gobert. I think the Warriors are a little more friendly of a matchup for James individually. But ultimately, he's got to do it because fair or unfair, there's a segment of the fan base here in Houston that does not fully trust him. And there has never been a better opportunity for him to to shed that than there will be over the next couple of weeks. Why do you think this is a more favorable matchup for James if the Warriors are so much better at switching than the Jazz? Because there's not that anchor in the middle. It reminds me a lot, if you go back to the 2015 playoffs of the Rockets versus the Clippers in the semis, and then the Rockets versus the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Now, the Warriors uh, did not have Durant back then, so there, there is a little bit more length now. But if you remember that Clippers series, he did not even play in the Game 6 comeback. That was the fourth quarter led by Corey Brewer and Josh Smith. Game 7, he had, I think he had like 30 points or so, but a lot of them came to the free throw line from the field. He shot like 35%. And then when it flipped to the Western Conference Finals, he played out of his mind. I think what really gives James trouble are these long athletic bigs that are enough of a presence. DeAndre Jordan, especially about three years ago when DeAndre was still at peak athleticism, and now Rudy Gobert, who's as good as it, as it is in the NBA, the defenders don't have to respect his ability to get all the way to the cup because they can trust those bigs back there. And so by extension, it makes it easier to prevent him from getting the separation he wants from three or even even on step backs from, say, 20 feet or so. And I think one thing that's fair to criticize James over is that he needs to get to where Chris Paul is in terms of being more comfortable taking mid-range shots. I think we've seen him grow a little bit in terms of taking more uh, floaters, those little five, six-foot shots and teardrops than he used to, but it doesn't need to be just that. It needs to be more willing to take the, uh, the 15, 16-foot variety, too. But it's just my sense is that, especially in a playoff setting 
where the officials tend to let a lot more contact go. He struggles with these uber-athletic bigs, the Gobert, the especially prime DeAndre Jordan types. And the Warriors, even though they can switch more, there's an easier way for him to get to the bucket. And I think that kind of loosens up the floor for him. Now, you can point out that these parallels I'm pointing out, these are the Warriors without Kevin Durant. Durant makes them a lot longer, and Durant is actually an incredibly underrated shot blocker. That's something I've considered is that maybe, you know, even if the Rock, even if the Warriors don't really have that traditional big, maybe they do have a presence out you're adding Durant to Draymond, and, of course, Iguodala is out there as well. We'll have to wait and see. But on paper, it reminds me a lot of the 2015 playoffs when even though you would say the Warriors were a better team defensively than the Clippers, for James in particular, it felt like moving away from a team with that uber-athletic big was beneficial to, to him personally as a scorer. You know, kind of looking at game three of the semifinals against Utah, uh, the Rockets offensively started to use more of the mid-range game. Uh, you know, Chris Paul, very effective from the mid-range. Uh, it, it seemed to give the Rockets a little bit more of an edge. Of course, you're not, you know, playing by the numbers, playing by the metrics, just shooting threes left and right. But uh, do you think the Rockets employ more of that mid-range game against the Warriors this series? I think you're probably going to have to. Uh, the, the Warriors are so, um, you know, we mentioned it. I think it will be partially mid-range, partially, you know, I, I do think they should have more success at getting directly to the rim, like I was telling Hunter a, a couple of minutes ago. But either way, uh, the Warriors, they don't really have that defensive anchor at the rim. But because they, they're so able to switch and are so flexible without Hampton 5's lineup, it's not like you're going to get, in my opinion, your normal looks from three either. You're just going to have to make plays one-on-one. And sometimes – you'll be lucky enough that you can get all the way to the rim. But other times, yeah, you're going to have to pull up from 15, 16 feet. Chris Paul showed he's able and willing to do that last round. But ultimately, James needs to as well, because the Warriors have enough length that many times you're not going to be able to shoot over them from three. You're going to have to, you know, shake them. And, you know, the way to succeed one-on-one is, of course, to keep them uncertain. And part of what keeping them uncertain how you do that is being willing to take shots at various stages and being less predictable. So ultimately, if you're going to succeed against guys like, you know, Durant, Iguodala, Clay, whoever it may be, one-on-one, then you're going to have to take and make some from unconventional spots on the floor because I think that's the only way that you sort of, you know, you keep them on their toes enough to where hopefully you can eventually uh, get them off balance. Luke Bamute, he's a guy that, you know, was coming off an injury in the, in the last series, uh, you know, looked okay, not, not anything outstanding, but, you know, he's a versatile player, especially on the defensive side of the ball. How do you expect him factoring into the series? He's going to have to be big. Uh, the Warriors are a team. It's going to be so tough to play Gerald Green much uh, as far as backup center minutes. I don't know. And there were questions, as we said earlier, about Clint Capella. And so if it's so tough to play Gerald Green because of the defensive deficiencies, I think in a perfect world, they would play Ryan Anderson. But I think it's clear that either physically, mentally, whatever it is, the trust is just not there in terms of Ryan and his shot, the Rockets in Ryan Anderson. And so I think the minutes behind Clint Capella are largely going to go to P.J. Tucker. And, it might, and if Capella struggles, it might need to be even more than that. So if Tucker is playing more at the five. It's something they haven't deployed that much in the playoffs, but they have in the regular season. Then somebody has got to fill those minutes that he would otherwise be taking uh, at the forward spots. And ultimately, if you're going to boost minutes, Luke is probably the best guy to do it. Uh, You could raise minutes for Eric Gordon a little bit too, especially if he's hot. But ultimately, 
it's going to be tough for the Rockets to play all three of Paul, Gordon, and Harden too, too much in this series, in my opinion, just because the Warriors are so long. I don't know if the Rockets can get away with that much length. So ultimately, you know, all season long, people talk about the Rockets' depth. They actually don't have that much depth right now that I think, especially against the Warriors, that Mike D'Antoni fully trusts. So ultimately, Luke's got to be better. Uh, if you want a silver lining, I thought Luke's play generally improved in Game 4 and Game 5. There was a moment early in Game 4 where he took some hard contact from Jarebko around the screen directly on that right shoulder. And I thought he popped up, and you could see it bothered him at first, but ultimately it wasn't re-dislocated or anything. It wasn't like uh, any, anything terrible happened. And from that point on, it felt like he attacked the rim with a little more vigor, with a little more of the Luke Babute we saw throughout the year. The first three games, I don't think he would flash, but he didn't finish in traffic. He didn't seek out contact the way he did in the regular season. And ultimately in this matchup, that's something that he's just going to have to do is, you know, if, if the Warriors are switching and if they're getting, you know, if the Rockets are moving the ball in the perimeter the way they like, then ultimately you're going to have to head fake and and have successful drives to the rim. And Luke Babute is one of the best slashers that they have. So they're going to need him to fill out minutes and they're going to need him to not just hit threes. I mean, of course it helps if he makes threes, but also be able to do what he gave you in the regular season when you're at your best, which is not just a three-point shooter, but also a guy who can get to the rim and make the defense respect his ability uh, off the dribble as well. Ben, awesome as always. All right, let's give our predictions. I'll, uh, I'll go first. I think that the Rockets lose game one. I'm sorry, excuse me. I'm sorry. I thought that I think if the Rockets win game one, but ultimately lose the series in six games. I just think the Warriors are the better team. They have more talent. I also think that this is the kind of series where yeah, the Warriors will feel a different kind of urgency that they have been rather lackadaisical throughout the season and slowly bringing it back uh, in the postseason. But this is going to bring out, I think, the best play we've seen from the Warriors all year. Uh, my other prediction is that Draymond Green and Chris Paul are going to have another total conniption between each other. They friggin' hate each other. And I'm very excited to see the kind of jawing and uh, confrontation that they're, they're probably going to have. Austin, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with a homer pick. I'm going to go Rockets in seven. I think the home court is going to be the uh, the difference in the series. Again, like you, I think the Rockets come out firing game one. I think they win game one. I think they drop game two. I think they steal a game on the road in, in Golden State. Uh, I, I think Harden's going to have a good series. And I, I think the, the MVP for the series is actually going to be Chris Paul. I, I don't know why, but, you know, that, that game five against Utah – you know, just him exploding for 41 points. It just seemed like he was going to will the team to the next round when they were down by four heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he's a savvy veteran. He doesn't have a ring. I think it would add to his legacy, you know, knocking off the Warriors. So I'm going to go with a homer pick. I wouldn't gamble on it, but that's who I would go for. Uh, ben, what do you think? I'm actually doing the same thing. Rockets in seven. I don't feel very confident in it. And by the way, if the Warriors win, I definitely think it would be uh, in six. So, you know, if I had to I would definitely not put money on it. I would say, you know, I really see it as either Rockets in seven or Warriors in six. It's extremely close. It's just I'm giving the benefit of the doubt because, you know, you mentioned the Chris Paul storyline, which I think is big. And ultimately, it's not just being in Houston. I I want to see the Rockets win because it just makes the NBA far, far more interesting looking forward. It's not just even about just us in Houston. It's about actually seeing not just – this season but beyond that the Warriors can be beaten that as good as they are there's a path that 
that basically Kevin Durant's decision did not essentially ruin the league for the next six to eight years. This is as good a team as there's been in the Warriors era. Uh, I know Cleveland actually beat them in 2016, but that was less about the team and more about uh, LeBron James just catching fire at the right time. And, of course, uh, Draymond got a suspension. That was before they got Durant. Ultimately, in, in my opinion, this goes beyond Houston. It's the closest team in terms of data, everything else that there's been in this run to Golden State. And, you know, it's one of those, I would say, on paper, I would defer to the Warriors. My gut says there's something special with Chris Paul and James Harden this year. I agree. I thought that sort of killer instinct late in game five. And I'm torn 50-50, but ultimately I'm going to pick the Rockets just because not just here in Houston, but yeah, I'm, I'm wishing it. I just think it makes for a much more compelling narrative for the next few years in the NBA if there's some way to actually beat this team. And on paper, it's the biggest, it's the best challenger that Golden State has had in their four-year run. And so hopefully not just for us in Houston, but league-wide, there's a way the Rockets can get this done. All right, so Ben and I have Rockets at seven. Hunter has Golden State in six. I think, you know, both are, are fair predictions like you, Ben. I think it's either going to go six or seven, uh, and it's going to be one on the, the team's home court. But, uh, you know, again, we have Ben DeBose on uh, joining us for the Weekly Brew. You can follow him at Ben DeBose on Twitter and Locked on Rockets. He also has a, uh, a segment that he recorded with Matt Bullard on his uh, Twitter page. So go ahead and check that out, previewing the, uh, the Western Finals or the NBA Finals, really. I mean, I think it's going to be the NBA Finals. But, yeah, but uh, Ben, we definitely appreciate you for uh, joining us on the podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Toyota Center during the uh, the series. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, fellas. Closing time. Great conversation with Hunter and Ben there covering the Western Conference Finals. Again, Game 1 tips off Monday night at 8 o'clock at the Toyota Center. All three of us will be at the game. It should be an exciting time here in Houston as uh, the Rockets try to bring the first championship, the first Western Conference championship home to the city in nearly two decades. So a lot of excitement building in the city, and hopefully the Rockets can get it done on Monday night against the Warriors and then continue that momentum into Game 2 in Houston again on Wednesday night before the series shifts to the Bay Area as Golden State hosts games three and four. So uh, just to recap real quick, Ben and I have the Rockets winning in seven. Hunter has the Golden State Warriors winning in six. Who do you have? Who do you have winning the series? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media platform you have. Just search Weekly Brewcast. Also, if you want to follow uh, game coverage, highly recommend that you follow Hunter at Hunter Atkins. 35 also Ben at Ben DeBose and Locked On Rockets. He's going to be dropping podcast episodes right after the game, so stay tuned for that. But I hope you enjoyed this episode, episode 132 of the podcast. And uh, for all of those in Clutch City, let's go Rockets. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew. 